Hey, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Black on the Air. This is kind of a, um, a special pod dropper right now. We weren't going to have one this week, but um, I thought I would uh, replay an episode from a few years ago with the legend Carl Reiner, who passed away uh, the other day. It was such a fun conversation. And for those of you who don't know, Carl Reiner is uh, one of my showbiz idols. Just even when I was a kid, I just really <laughs> just loved his work and admired him and had no idea, you know, until a little later, just all the things that he did and really kind of fashioned my career, you know, um, kind of in the vein of that multi-hyphenate type of thing that Carl Reiner did. Um, but man, I, Carl Reiner to me was, he was such a, <laughs> he's in a class by himself, you know, and it made me so sad of hearing of his passing. It just brought back a rush of memories that um, I just wanted to share with you guys and replay this episode because it was such a fun conversation. I was invited to Carl's house to do the um, the pod and uh, just talked about his whole career and everything. And he couldn't have been nicer. But let me tell you, the first time I met Carl, it wasn't the first time I met Carl Reiner. I first met him. And when I say met him, I kind of approached him because <laughs> he didn't know who I was. I was a comedian at the time. And I went to, it was like the Comedy Awards uh, early version of that. I, I don't know if they still have this type of thing. I forgot who sponsored it. And it was this black tie thing. And I, um, I think I had started writing for TV at that point. I, I can't remember, but I definitely was doing stand-up mainly. And I think I went with my manager. She had gotten some tickets or something. You know, I'm sitting in the back, you know, that type of thing. It wasn't a big deal. I, it wasn't like I was getting an award or anything. But they were, at this particular awards, they were honoring, I think, Mel Brooks. I think it was Mel Brooks. And so at Mel Brooks's table was Carl Reiner. And uh, I think Steve Martin was there. Rob Reiner was there. And some other people. It was a pretty heavyweight uh, comedy table, right? And here I am. Just a, a stand-up comic, you know, uh, and I thought I would go over to the table and just say hi to Carl Reiner. Now, keep in mind, guys, Mel Brooks, Steve Martin, you know, even Rob Reiner, who I really was a huge fan of, you know, especially as a director. I mean, it was one thing for what he did in All in the Family, but, you know, he directed Spinal Tap and, you know, some really great movies up to that point. So I was a fan of the whole table, you know. There were some others there, too, but I can't remember. But... For some reason, I was compelled just to go up and say hi to Carl Reiner, you know, and I kind of mousily did this, you know, <laughs> just went up to the table. I'm walking by Melbourne, Steve Martin and everything. And I go up and I say, uh, excuse me, Mr. Reiner, uh, I just want to say I'm a big fan of yours and just thank you for everything you, you know, you've done. And I didn't know. You know, people, you know, I think Steve Martin and Mel Brooks are kind of just kind of looking at me and just not saying anything, even if they even looked at me. I don't even know. I was just kind of not even looking at the table. It's funny how when you're a young performer, you're kind of shy about meeting people and stuff, you know. It's kind of interesting. At least I was. Um, like, almost like you don't feel like you're worthy to be in the presence of, 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 you know, all that comic genius there or whatever. But anyhow, I just wanted to kind of just let him know how much I appreciated him, you know. And so I said that, and he was so warm, like he immediately said, hey, what's your name? You know, he wanted to know who I was. He asked what I did. I said, well, I'm a stand-up comedian, you know, trying to make it. And he said, oh, that's great. He said, you know what? I bet you're really funny. And this was his reasoning. He said, because he felt I was good looking, he called, he said, you're a good looking guy. He said, you know who else was good looking was really funny? Dick Van Dyke, you know, you know, really good looking guy, really funny. And I was like, whoa, what a com... Wait, Carl Reiner just said I was like, you know, just compared me to Dick Van Dyke. It was so bizarre, you know, but I, it was such an interesting thing. I thanked him, you know, kind of laughed and, uh, you know, and I went away, but I never forgot that, you know, and I, it was bizarre that I wouldn't go to Mel Brooks or somebody else that I would go to Carl Reiner, you know, who was probably lesser known than the rest of that table, ironically. So that was my, kind of my first run in with Carl Reiner. You know, he couldn't have been nicer. You know, he could have just completely brushed me off or whatever, but he took his time to say something interesting that he was observing, you know, about me. And it's funny, as I listen to all the remembrances of Carl Reiner 
I hear people telling stories like that, where he did something personal for the person. You know, he went outside of himself to be nice. You know, he made an effort to be, as we say, a mensch, you know, and just and just be human. You know, that was the thing that was most interesting. So years later, as I'm uh, producing the Bernie Mac show with the great Bernie Mac, who we miss a lot. Bernie and I were both big fans of Carl Reiner. We were talking about him and wanted to have him on the show. I think we had just done a dinner for Carl by we. It was uh, Phil Rosenthal and some other writers around town. We used to do these dinners at the Museum of Television Radio. Just as kind of uh, remembering some uh, people who have come before. We did one for Sid Caesar, and it was so much fun. And I believe we did one for Carl Reiner. I could be wrong about that, but I think we had just done that. I'll have to check and see. Uh, so I know he was on our minds. He, he had, and Bernie had worked with Carl in Ocean's Eleven, you know, and wanted to get him on the show. So we had Carl on the show and he couldn't have been nicer once again. But it's kind of interesting. I got to experience kind of three different versions of Carl Reiner at this point. And it was fascinating, guys, to see this. And it makes it kind of makes sense because he was a, one of the first true multi-hyphenates, you know. And by that, I mean he was a performer and he shined as a performer. He was a writer, you know. Uh, Bright Star is a writer. He was a director, you know. He was just a raconteur, you know. He could tell a story, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's done everything, a producer. So when we had booked Carl to do the show, we had lunch with them, me and the line producer. And uh, I think it was just me and the line producer. Uh, I don't think Bernie was there. And we're having lunch with Carl just at a you know restaurant. And I'm sitting with Carl Reiner, the legend, right? And Michael and I are completely at his feet. You know, he's we're at lunch and he's just telling us stories and we're laughing. <laughs> you know, we're we're being completely respectful. You know, here's the legend. You know, we are. We are pleased to be in his presence, listening to his stories. And, you know, he's so entertaining. He even told us about uh, he would hang out with Steve Martin and Johnny Carson. They would play cards and they would, you know, do magic tricks and stuff. So I ended up showing Carl a magic trick uh, intended to fool both of them. I thought that it would. So it was fun like that. But for the main part, you know, me and my line producer, Michael, we're just there kind of happy to be in the presence of this legend who's sharing stories. So now... On the set of the Bernie Mac show, we're doing the scenes. It's a little different. Now I'm experiencing Carl, the actor, the performer. And the relationship is a little different because I'm the producer and I'm in charge here. So Carl, all of a sudden, is a completely different Carl. Suddenly, he's got all the insecurities of any actor or comedian on a set. He's very like, is that okay? Was that, is it, do you think that's funny? Should I try this? You know, he's very insecure you know, second guessing himself, uh, wanting to please. And he's completely at the service of what I'm doing. And it was so bizarre. I'm like, and I, and I remember noticing that, you know, how that relationship changed. And, you know, I love producing and love that stuff, you know, and I'm happy to, to lead him and everything, but, you know, I'm being respectful and all that stuff. But the relationship was completely different. You know, now I'm the person in charge of this train, you know, he is completely at my beck and call, you know, completely, uh, he's not diva being a diva at all, you know, and he and Bernie were hilarious together. They really got along great. You know, they're both having fun, but it was, it was like two kids who were playing and I'm the parent there. So it was very, it was very strange to see that change. Okay. That was the second version of Carl Reiner. The third version, there's actually a fourth version after this that I'll end with too. The third version was, a few months after that, they were doing a Dick Van Dyke reunion show. And they got as much of the original cast that was still there, and Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore. I think Rose Marie was there. A couple of the writers, uh, Persky and Denoff, who wrote on the show, were there. And now Carl Reiner is in a completely different position. Now he is Carl Reiner, the showrunner. And he is the master of his craft. And you could see his brain even operating differently. And what's interesting is that all of the people, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, you could see them almost go back to the relationships that you know they had in the 60s, where Carl was their boss and they're kind of 
like in the way that Carl was reacting to me, that's the relationship to Carl, which is interesting. Dick Van Dyke, you know, Mary Tyler Moore. Like Mary Tyler Moore, it's almost like she went back in time. You could see that that ingenue version of Mary Tyler Moore come back again, you know, and it wasn't like some diva version of Mary Tyler Moore or something like that where people had changed. They snapped back to the dynamics that they had. And Carl, you could see his brain working all the time. You know, he's on fire. He's thinking. You could see him thinking out loud. He's taking care of business. Completely different Carl that I that I had experienced. And so feeling so fortunate that I got to see this Carl do that, you know. And then finally, the final version that I got to experience. Years later now, when I got to do this podcast that you're about to listen to, was almost like... Carl Reiner, the family member, you know, kind of like the uncle who's kind of reminiscing and just relaxed and all of those things just are a little different now, you know, they're in the rear view, but, you know, he's completely present at the same time. Um, Very funny, very engaging, as human as ever, and just a pleasure to be with. So anyhow, it's my pleasure to share this episode from a couple of years ago, my conversation with the legendary... Carl Reiner. Welcome back, everybody, to Black in the Air. I am so excited right now. You have to know, I am with not only a showbiz legend, a person who's responsible for bringing us so many classic things in this business as a writer, director, performer, The Dick Van Dyke Show, Your Show of Shows, The Jerk, The Russians Are Coming. We could go on and on and on. One of my showbiz idols, Mr. Carl Reiner. Carl, thank you so much for thank being Thank you for coming here because you're doing a very big service. Yes. You're letting me talk about myself. <laughs> yes, we are. And thank you for being so gracious, allowing uh, me and our crew into your home. It's very nice of you. No, I'm, I'm mm. so happy. I have this yes. home since 1961. Really? Wow. And I love people coming in to uh-huh. it so I don't have to go out. Yes. I think you figured that out, right? Yes. People, no, people it, come it, here. It's age has done that to me. Yes. Yes. Were you So you don't get out? As, how old are you now, Carl? Can I um, ask? I'm... Uh, Ninety-five and uh, six, three quarters of ninety-five and three quarters. To, when is your birthday? March twentieth. Oh, March twenty. Oh, so yeah. you uh, you're ninety-five and a half, right? Yes, now. Oh, three quarters. Yeah. So you'll yeah. be ninety-six next year. <laughs> the title of my two latest books, and by the way, these, <laughs> this is my, one of my favorite projects of all uh-huh. time. It's called Alive at Ninety Five, recalling movies I love. <laughs> I love that. It's a a four hundred page book containing. Every movie I saw since I was f- five years old, my six years old, my father took me. me to a Bronx movie, yeah. a movie theater, and it was Faust with uh-huh. Emil Janings, yeah. who was Hitler's favorite actor. Oh my goodness! Playing Faust, yeah. And I was scared to death. I watched it through my fingers. Sure. But from that day, I became a movie buff. My father and mother went to the movies at least once a week. Uh-huh. So um, Hitler is partly responsible for your love of movies, yes. I guess one could say. <laughs> anyway, so this goes up right until the time I go in the army. At, yeah. There's photo. There's a poster of every. Oh, by the way, it's it's uh, the movie. The thing it's is in a called, binder right now. It's called for, a lot uh, movies I love, and in the fly leaf it says and food I love. And yes, I have, I have sushi yeah, on you have one some side and, food in there. and corn. Was it the love of movies that did you think you would go into showbiz when you were? watching the movies back then and in those days? So, uh, I, I didn't know it then, but uh-huh. I did know that when I was very young and uh-huh. I used to listen to the radio, my father sure. always cared about comedians yet. Mm-hmm. And I was able to tell stories to my friends who didn't hear it sure. and embellish something that I'd heard like a Lou Holtz story. He was yeah. one of famous old talking comedians. Right. And so I had that. I didn't know I'd go into show business, though. Yeah. But I had an uncle, Uncle Harry, my mother's brother, mm-hmm. who was in Irving Berlin's first show. Wow. Uh, this is the Army. Mm-hmm. And it was called Yip, it, Yip, Yip, Yap, Hank. It was was called, that the name of the song also, This is the Army? This is the Army. Yes. Mr. Jones. Right. Not, no private mm-hmm. rooms or telephones. Nice. Yeah, written by Irving Berlin. Yeah. Another word about him. You know, every time I say Irving Berlin, I get a little bit of a... Thrill. Uh-huh. I saw a guy named Heschefelder do Berlin. Mm-hmm. Berlin lived to be a hundred, and he wrote wow. like six—I don't know—six 
hundred thousand. He was amazingly prolific. Most am- yeah. amazing. And this guy talked about every song he ever wrote mm-hmm. and how he came to write it. Yeah. And it was extraordinary. He's, I'm, you know, as a matter of fact, I was. Th- I just wrote about um, Kate Smith used to sing "God, God Bless, Bless America." America Irving Berlin and, song. And Francis Scott Key uh-huh. wrote a very unsingable yeah. thing that we have to sing in front <laughs> yes. of ball games. Right. And and somebody was proselytizing for "God Bless America," which yeah. soars. And Irving Berlin was. That guy. Yeah, did he write White Christmas? He did, and that yeah. was another interesting thing. Yeah. He was a he, he was, was a Jew a writing Jew, White Christmas. And he yeah. wrote the two <laughs> definitive songs about holidays, White Christmas yes. and Easter Parade. Yes, and Easter Parade. Yes, In yes. your Easter bonnet with yeah. all the frills. I would join you, the- but my voice is horrible, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. And and uh you were in the army, uh where did you serve in you? You served in the army, right? Yeah, I served in uh, World War Two. In yeah. World War Two, yeah. I, I was a first. I was a teletype operator, uh-huh. and I was on my way someplace. Uh-huh. This I wrote about this because this is so crazy. Some things I would be here if this hadn't happened. Uh-huh. On my way to some place, and we didn't know where. We're in Seattle, okay. Part, you know, destination unknown. Sure. And I stopped off, we stopped off in Hawaii to go to destination right. unknown. And I went to see a GI Hamlet with Maurice Evans playing Hamlet. They were playing Maurice it in, Evans. in, uni- wow. in yeah. uniforms, you know. Sure. You know. And my friend Howie Morris, another reason that yeah. I'm here is because of the government. Uh-huh. When I was 17 years old, I went to the NYA radio workshop, uh-huh. a government sponsored program. I had my first. Inclination to be an actor when I went, when I was 16, 17, my brother found an ad in the paper. It said, Government sponsored the t- uh, teaching. Yeah. They taught painters, they taught, t- t- and there's great murals in, sure. in uh, all the p- post offices. Well, then and then I went to an acting class. It wasn't such a bad thing for the government to be involved in people's lives. That, that's <laughs> right. what the government's supposed to be for. <laughs> yeah. Get the government off the, get the people off the government's backs. That's what the government's backs are for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got a president doesn't understand. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Yeah, no, I in a bit. I want to took talk. me away from a tweet. I was just tweeting about oh, it. <laughs> sorry. Well, <laughs> by all means, let's get back to that tweet because I, I want to make sure. Yeah, you I want to see. That. I tweeted it out. I want to see how many people answered it. Yeah, I'll retweet it. So. <laughs> And uh, your first, I guess your first big break was uh, your show of shows. Yeah, I the, think it was. Now, well, my first big break was getting into a Broadway musical. Uh-huh. And, to, and that from that, I got into show of shows. Now, did you consider yourself a performer at that time or a writer primarily? No, I was a performer. You're a performer. The only mainly. reason I uh-huh. consider myself a writer was that I wrote my material in the yes. Army when I went. Well, you wrote it out of necessity, right? Yeah, I did yeah. the Army shows. Ultimately, when I was in Hawaii, I got pulled out. Sure. And my friend Howie Morris said, hey, do you have an act? I said, no, I'm going someplace. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I auditioned for Maurice Evans. Yeah. And he wanted me, and I said, I'm going someplace. Right. He 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 says, we have – he called General Richardson and traded me like a ball player. <laughs> That's how I became – a performer. Well, it's amazing some of the names that you just happened to brush shoulders with when you were just starting out. I mean, when did you were you and Howard Morris friends growing up? Is that how you know? No, them? we from the NYA radio workshop. Oh, that's we got where you met him. Twenty two dollars a month mm-hmm. for doing these uh, shows written by Norman Corwin, who lent them yeah. to us. Norman and, Corwin, uh, who and wrote we, some amazing yeah, we, uh, we, and, and radio we were, programs. Yeah. We were the MCs of uh, symphony orchestras. Yeah. And we worked for, you know, $22.50 a month. Yeah. What was it like back then to work? Did, did you think that you had a future in showbiz at that time? Or did oh, you think- yes. I knew it. Yeah. I had to. There was no other no other way to go. I yeah. mean, I, that was the only thing that really bones. pleased me. Yeah. Yeah. And your show of shows, how did you get How did you get your show of shows with, I mean, Sid well, Caesar, you know, who, I mean, was an amazing performer. I was, you know. I was on a show called, uh, uh, I forget the name of it. Um, the Fifty Fourth Street Review. Uh-huh. I was I was the MC of it, and uh, and Max Liebman saw the show, and he was right. looking for somebody to be Sid's 
you know, foil, uh-huh. and he invited me down. That show lasted about 15 weeks, and I, I grabbed uh-huh. on it, made a career for me. Yeah. Working with the, being the second banana to the biggest, most fright banana ever yeah. lived. He was. Yes. Tell me about Sid. What do people don't know about? Was he really, did people, were people afraid of Sid Caesar? No. Was he threatening? He was a pussycat. Really? Was? Oh, yeah. He was, but he yeah. was physically a oh, strong. Oh, physically very yeah. strong. He, he was. He showed it twice. These two stories are so crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, he was riding in, in the park, in Central Park with a wife and he on horses. They hadn't really, they yeah. were not horsemen, but they rented horses and <laughs> Sid's wife, Florence, her horse shied, and uh-huh. he rose in the air and almost threw her off. Uh-huh. Sid got off his horse and punched the horse oh my in the God. nose. <laughs> that's, that's the joke and from he Blazing said, Saddles. don't do that no more. <laughs> Did Mel Brooks steal that for Blazing Saddles? Yes, yes, that's exactly yeah, right. look at that. Exactly right. Yes. And then oh there's another God. one, the, the best one of all. Sid had just bought a new car, and uh-huh. he parked it in front of a restaurant, another guy with a little car came over and tried to ease into a space that he couldn't, yeah. and he had to push his car twice. He Uh-oh. bumped it, and Sid was just and the doctor going away. He turned around, <laughs> yes. and he knocked on a guy's glass uh, mm-hmm. window. The guy would open the window. He knew it was. He opened the little the little triangular window sure. there. Sure, right, yeah. And, Sid put his hand through the window, grabbed him by the collar and said, would you like to relive your birth? (laughs) He was going to pull him through that. He pulled his face right against him. He said, don't ever do that again to people. It's it's amazing that... One of the a person who's been regarded as one of the funniest people ever had this streak, you know, where it's like you can't mess with him too. He had a lot of emotion. Yeah, in him. he but he never hit anybody. He never, yeah. never once. Was that did. story true? But about his him anger Mel- came out once. Uh, mm. Something happened in a in a club. They uh-huh. they were supposed to give him something. They I don't know. Somebody was obstreperous in the audience. It was, didn't work, and he was sure. doing a great act. He went into the. <laughs> His room, his dressing room, was a little sink in the wall. Uh-huh. He pulled the sink out of the wall oh my with God. the plumbing. He was that strong. Was it true that he held Mel Brooks outside of a window? Yes. I don't <laughs> think he held him outside. He leaned him outside. Oh, he leaned yeah. him out. Mel yes. was making fun of something, and they, oh, he yes. didn't come up with something. Right. And he says, uh, have, you ever, have you ever fallen from a 34th yes. Street in Chicago? He, he didn't throw him out. He, right. threw, he threw very few people out windows. Yes. Uh, but it must have been uh, it must have been a heady time back then. I mean, that your, the writing staff in your show shows is like a killer's list of some yes, of the best. Yes, every one of those writers, writers went time. forward to be somebody. People like Neil Simon. Yeah. Um, well, Mel well, Brooks, of Mel course. Mel Brooks, Neil Simon, Larry Gelbart. Larry Gelbart. Um, yes. Danny Simon also. Danny Simon, yeah. yeah, his brother. But there was a guy named Mike Stewart who used to. He was like the guy who all the jokes would fly, and he put yeah. it down with. With a pencil and uh-huh. type it out, Larry, and he he ended up. He was a quiet guy. He ended mm-hmm. up writing "Hello Dolly" and about <laughs> really? ten Broadway shows. The writer's assistant writes yeah. "Hello Dolly." That's yeah. how killer he wrote that about stuff. six Broadway shows. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, there was a, a massive amount of brains in that room. Yeah, did you have an appreciation at that time for how funny everybody was? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Mel Brooks. That's where we started the two thousand year old man accidentally. Yeah. That was a good story. I came in and Mel was there. He wasn't working for the show. He was working for Sid Caesar, $35 a joke. Max uh-huh. didn't like him. Max Liebman, he's, he's too noisy and he makes you just too crazy. I can't imagine Mel Brooks getting on anyone's nerves back then. <laughs> anyway, I walked in not knowing who he was. Yeah. And there he's standing up. He's doing a Jewish pirate. A Jewish pirate. Pirate, yeah. Right. He's, and he's, I never forget the first lines. He, mm-hmm. I didn't know who he was. And he's yeah. saying... You know how hard it is to set sail these days? <laughs> you know what they're charging for sailcloth? $3.40 a yard. <laughs> I can't afford to pillage and rape anymore. That was his first line. He makes sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And the following day, I saw a program, We the People Speak, where they talk about yeah. the current events. I came in the office without saying a word. I said, sir, I understand uh-huh. that you lived 2,000 years and you knew Christ. Yeah, he says, yeah, I knew him. He says, 
wait a minute, thin lad, right? <laughs> always wore, he always wore sandals, walked around with yeah. 12 other guys. He says, they came into the store a lot, never bought anything, but I gave them water. They were nice boys. That was the first line. So you guys, you just did this off the top of your head. You yes. just started asking them questions. For, this. Six he started improvising. for five years, uh-huh. we did it at parties. Yeah. People made parties for us to get up you and You just did that. it for fun in Absolutely. the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. And we said it was four years after the war, and I said uh-huh. the Jewish accent was persona non grata. Hitler made, you yeah. know, made it clear that it's not easy to be a Jew. Sure. Not a good idea. So we figured term. it was only for our Jewish friends and non-anti-Semitic Gentiles. People who, who felt okay. <laughs> yes. People who felt okay laughing at that because you yes. were so close to it. And that tragedy I, plus time rule. And I the funny so. thing is that mm-hmm. I remember, like it was yesterday, at a party, mm-hmm. one of these— uh, people made parties to give it, and this was one of these a- A-listed parties. Show business party. There were three mm-hmm. people who was who was sitting there after the, and it was George Burns, the first one who said, uh, oh. "He says, is there an album here? Did you put this <laughs> on an album?" We said, "No, he just put it on an album, or I'll steal it." That's and hilarious. He, and, and he ended up playing God yeah, years I, later, and so I he was right. That movie, yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. And mm-hmm. tell you, at the end, I'll tell you what he told me, the last thing I heard from uh-huh. him. But the uh, second one was Edward G. Robinson, the very famous actor. And he said, Edward uh, G. Robinson. He said, uh, I like that show. He had a really right. He was a great gangster. Yeah, I like that show. He liked that show. He says, I I like that performance. He says, make a show out of it. Make a play out of it. He says, I'd like to play the thousand-year-old man. Oh, that's hilarious. And I said, it's 2,000 years. I can play any age. Oh, I never forget that. That's so And the third one was the most blessed man ever. Mm -hmm. One of the great men in our business. Um, What's his (laughs) I lost his name. No. uh, Oh, Jesus all of a sudden, I, this is happening to me a lot lately. Oh, that's okay. I understand. Uh, no, the first great, uh, you know, talk show host. Uh, oh, was it Steve Allen? Steve Allen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Steve Allen said, fellas, he says, we have this World Pacific Jazz uh, place where we give concerts. Sure. He says, you take it over, a recording studio. He says, and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. He loved to send uh-huh. out comedians. He's take it over. And we did. We did. So invited um, 300 people, whaled for two hours, cut it down to 47 minutes. and Did you guys improvise two hours of that? You improvised it? Oh, yes. Mel never knew the question I was going to ask. Was I of, never knew what he was going to My only problem was I had to bite my lips sometime not yeah. to get laughter in the album. Yes. You know, never laugh at your own jokes. Right. But that's the only thing problem I had with it. And, Carl, you, you've been called the greatest straight man ever, which I believe, too. But people, you're... <laughs> You're the funniest straight man ever, too. Well, you know, something yeah. I found out, which I didn't know, yeah. in the old vaudeville days, yeah. when there was an um, an act, sure. comedy act. Like Gallagher and Sheen or something. The, like the straight man owned the act, and very often mm-hmm. would switch comedians until he found the one he liked. Oh, really? It started, I read a history of it, uh-huh. three or four of them, exactly the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, wow, it's such an amazing, 2,000-year-old man, guys, it... And that was in the era of the the comedy album. Yes. The comedy album was such a yes, it's such a, a great cultural thing that isn't really around anymore. No, you know, where you put well, it. Well, we have uh, we have cable now. We have a lot yeah. of great comedians. But there was something about listening to comedy that's different than watching it, isn't it? I know. Yeah, and listening to two thousand year old man. And please, maybe we can play a clip from it. You know. Later, something, but there's something about listening to you and Mel and the chemistry that you had back then. I mean, you had that chemistry with uh, with Sid, you know, when you would ask the professor questions. Yeah, but those were yeah. written questions. Yeah, those were written, yeah, though, yeah. yeah. Even though he looked like he was ad-libbing. When oh, he well, Sid singing. did ad-lib. Sid, yeah. when, uh, Sid was one of these guys, when the audience started laughing, he did what any comedian did in vaudeville. Yeah. He, he kept working on it. If you like this, I, I'll find more. And he did. And they were live shows he always at found the time, more. too, yeah. So from there, now, from there, you ended up uh, creating one of the greatest TV shows ever, The Dick Van Dyke Show. Um, when did you get the idea for the Dick Van Dyke show? You know, the funny thing is, right after I did the show of shows, mm-hmm. uh, the, the format was now finished. Not until Carol Burnett brought it back. And boy, did she bring it back 10 years later. That type of sketch yeah, comedy sketch show. Sketch comedy. Right. Yeah, they have music, variety shows, but not that pure sketch, sketch comedy. Show. Yeah. And so I was offered a lot of um, 
and, they, and I read a couple of them. They mm -hmm. weren't very good, yeah. situation comedies. And my wife, in her infinite wisdom, said, mm -hmm. why don't you write one? I said, I don't know. I don't know. And we were going to Far Island that year, and on my way to the island, I said to myself, and I talk, I recommend this talk out loud yes. because you might. Carl Ryan says, talk to yourself. Talk yes. to yourself. <laughs> I said, what piece of ground do you stand on that nobody else stands on? Uh -huh. I said, well, I live in New Rochelle with wife and two kids. Mm -hmm. I work in New York as a actor, writer on the show. Right about that. Yeah. So I wrote a thing called Head of the Family. Mm -hmm. And Fire Island, I wrote 13 episodes because I figured if I did the show, I want to have a template for other writers to know. Sure. Like a Bible and, for And me. you're not even considering yourself a writer, really. You're yeah. just thinking of yourself as a performer. I, and you're kind of writing as a means to get this done. Absolutely. Yes, something right. I understood. Sure. And, uh, and so I had these 13 episodes, and we did a pilot with Barbara Britton, Morty Gunty and Sylvia Miles playing the other two parts. And were you playing the head of the family? I played the head, okay. and we 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 filmed it, not in front of an audience. You uh -huh. know, we put the laughter in later, and it wasn't very good. It was yeah. o it was okay. Right? Was and anyone we, I, producing it at the time, or did you just uh, do no? It? We produced it, but okay. it wasn't it wasn't very good. And I started to write a movie for Doris Day, the thrill of it all. I was on my way to that. Yeah. And these there were these thirteen episodes, and Sheldon Leonard. And Danny Thomas, mm -hmm. my age, we had a mutual agent. They read it and they called me in. They said, "We'd love. To, we think these are wonderful sh hmm. uh, episodes." I said, "The fellows, I don't want to fail twice with the same material." Wow. And Sheldon said, "You won't fail. We'll get a better actor to play you." <laughs> By the way, and he did. Um, I'm a huge uh, old radio show uh, buff. You know, that is a great impression of Sheldon Leonard. Sheldon Leonard was such an interesting character in he showbiz. He was. His voice is one of the most iconic voices. I know. You know, Sheldon Leonard? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. he, he was a bartender in one, originally in uh, some movie, I guess, that started. It's a wonderful life. Yeah, It's a Wonderful, wonderful life. life. He was right. in that, yeah. But uh, he was as good an no, executive producer. He was an amazing he, producer. He was he produced a, some a, classics. Yes. But he had a good enough eye to see that those were, that that was a good show that, yes, that, that no you had written. Yes, no question about And then uh, you decided you didn't want to play that part again, or did they say? No, I, as soon as uh, he said, uh, we'll get a better actor to play. Oh, you will get a better and actor. And he suggested right. Dick Van Dyke. He's, oh, that came from him. Okay. Dick Van Dyke was in the play in New York, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, two, uh, um, with um, Cheetah Rivera. Mm -hmm. And I went to see it, and he was wonderful. And yeah. I, of course, Dick Van Dyke may be the single most all-around talented man is, ever. Is he underrated as a talent? You know, I don't think so because everybody's coming out now. Steve Martin, yeah. who is, I consider a genius. Yes. The other day said, and I called Dick and told him, he said, the single greatest all-around talent ever in our business is Dick Van Dyke. Wow. Of course, he can do everything. He can. At this age, yes. he can still dance on roofs. It's amazing. Yeah, he's it an really amazing, is. amazing character. I thought one of, there are a few things that, to me, are indelible and amazing about the Dick Van Dyke show. One of the things is the timelessness of it. I believe you can watch it now and still enjoy that show. You know, that's funny. Yeah. Somebody else noticed that, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, for two things are happening. They're colorizing two or, th two or three really? of them. Really? I like and them on black Christmas yeah. time, they'll be on. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it works well, I may colorize sure. them all. Sure. But somebody had an idea, and this is in the offing. The dialogue is sort of fresh. Uh, by the way, when I started the show, I knew it was going to last longer than— I said it'll probably last a longer time uh -huh. if we do two things— no slang of the day, yeah, and no political things that to, oh, interesting. to date it. So I said only about relationships between husbands and wives, right. and parents and and workers with their bosses. I said everybody's got that, and that's what we stuck to that. So you consciously wanted it to oh, feel yes. evergreen. I knew, it was, yes. and somebody just said they're thinking of making twenty-five minute just the, the dialogue uh -huh. and playing it on on. Uh, uh, on a radio show, yeah. so you know, go to, you can listen to it on a radio. That's amazing. and it works. They tried it and it works. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Rosenthal, who uh, created Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, I love her. Um, I think we had dinner with you, like yes, yes. in the early two thousands. Right, right. Um, we we used to do this thing at the Museum of Television Radio. Myself, Judd Apatow, Phil Rosenthal. We hosted people like Carl and Sid Caesar. We just wanted to appreciate you guys at the By time. By the way, I, <laughs> we got We just have to tip our hat a little bit. We would. We met a long time yes, ago. Yes, we did. And we met 
because he, you were running the uh, yes the, the show called the Bernie Mac the show. The Bernie Mac show, and we we're talking mm-hmm. about him. He may be the single most talented. He should have been. He should have been winning all awards. Yes, and he would have if he had lived. Yes, but the saddest thing, Bernie Mac, who said, "I'm not going to be here long because I have this thing of family." Yeah, he told you that, and yeah. I, he was so strong, and yeah. he looked. His eyes were sharp. He smiled. I, I thought he was. He had to be kidding. Yeah. And he left us at fifty. It was two of the highlights of my life um, to work with Bernie Mac and create the Bernie Mac show. And then we had you, Carl Reiner, as a guest. I wonder while we're talking, if people ever heard the name yeah. Bernie Mac. But if you didn't, Google it. Yes. He's oh, worth no. Knowing. Believe me. Yeah. People were listening to this. No, Bernie is. You know, but. uh I remember his two idols were you and Don Rickles. Those are his two idols. <laughs> oh, John Rickles. Rickles. I just love yes. Don Rickles. And we had both of you guys on the show. It was amazing, yeah. you know. But uh, he he loved you, as I do, too, of course, you know. But I'll never forget at the time, if I can tell this story real quick. Yes, yes. So we had lunch with you before we were going to do it. And, and we were all, it was me and one of the producers. I don't remember if Bernie was at the lunch or not. I'm not sure. But... I'm like, you know, you're Carl Reiner, the legend of showbiz, and you're telling stories, and, you know, and we're kind of sitting at your feet, just kind of just taking it all in, and it was so much fun, you know. In fact, I remember I showed you, I don't know if you remember this, but I showed you a magic trick, because you said sometimes you would have lunch with Johnny Carson and Steve yeah, Martin yeah. back then, and I said, let me show you a magic trick, and you can fool them with it, you know. But I was so, like, it was so much fun to be there with you, this guy who, you know, you, you, there was just flair about you. Then we go on set. And I'm going to tell this. So now you're Carl Reiner, the actor, you know, and we're doing the scene. And you're like, is that OK? Do you think? I'm like, what are you talking about? You're, you're Carl Reiner. You're a legend. Of course, that's OK. <laughs> and it was so funny to see you to see that change and how it doesn't matter where you are as a, a performer, whatever. You have different ways that you are in the business. And then the third part of it was you were doing a reunion show for, for Dick Van Dyke. Right. And I was lucky to be on set and. Dick Van Dyke is there, Mary is there, and even Rosemary and some of the people. And now you're Carl Reiner, the showrunner. And I could see all the relationships go back to like it was 1963. Right. Like even Mary Tyler Moore, it looks like she's a young woman <laughs> talking to you. You're the, bu- I mean, it was amazing how the dynamics didn't change. You know, know that was, yeah. when, and whenever I'm asked what's the favorite thing I've ever done in my life, yeah. I say hands down the Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. And it's funny where you say you didn't tackle um, certain things, but you did. You, I think you kind of sneakily did some social issues. Oh, like, sure. Oh, yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, my, one, of my, one of my thrusts was to get an African-American in the show. Yeah. We lived in a white neighborhood, and I remember <laughs> yes. working very hard. Hmm. And one show, I wrote a show, and I had uh, – uh, not Godfrey Cambridge. Well, Godfrey Cambridge was on an episode. Yeah, God, yes. Godfrey Cambridge. It wasn't yeah. the other guy who just died. What well, Greg it? Morris was on an yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah right, but right. Uh, that was the second yes. one. But the Godfrey, Godfrey Cambridge was a. I had him play an FBI yes, agent. Yes, I remember that. Who yeah. needed their house to survey another house across? <laughs> yes, and yes. I remember the census or the somebody was saying. Are there African-American uh, FBI, FBI yeah. agents? I said, well, there are now. You're like, maybe the B stands for black. How about <laughs> yeah, that? <Yeah. laughs> there are now, and, and it worked fine, and nobody objected. But yeah. the one thing that we did, one of the best shows we ever did, uh-huh. was That's My Boy, where yeah. they're pretty sure they got the wrong baby at the yes. hospital. Yes, yes, and, yes. Uh, and people who are going to come over... Their names were similar to the Petries and the Peters, uh-huh. and the Peters were going to come over because they got something of theirs, yeah. and they were sure it's the baby, but it was some some chocolates or something that that they got or flowers. Uh-huh. And when they come over, and it's Greg Morris, yes. the biggest laugh you've ever heard. And I remember the the censor saying, uh, "You know, is this in good taste?" I said, "The audience will tell us." Mm-hmm. I said, our heart's in the right place, yeah. so it's in good taste. Yeah. And and it was. And he, we put in the tag, I said, and they, they both had kids now go to mm-hmm. school years later, and they're very proud of their son who's a, yeah. an A student, and Richie's a C student. Yeah. So we put that little addenda right. in. It's funny how, I mean, eight, ten years later, we'd get all in the family where, you know, social issues were just... I mean, just blatantly in your face. And here you're doing the most subtle of takes 
on a social issue and you have censors worried about it and that sort of thing. It's really I must say, in, in, in their favor, they worried about that we'd be offensive to the to the African-Americans. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah there was both. There were both. both I said, listen it. to yours and you'll see. Yeah. I said, our hearts are there, so yeah. they'll be there too. And after Dick Van Dyke, then you started, uh, you know, you did a lot of things, of course, but you started directing yeah. more and more. And uh, another classic movie. And guys, please... Uh, Netflix, wherever you can find these movies, if you haven't seen them, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. Still, like the Dick Van Dyke show, one of the funniest movies you can watch. And one of the funniest casts, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. my God, we had uh, You mentioned Don Rickles. We had every, yeah. every wonderful comedian. Oh, that guy who passed Alan away. Alan uh, No, who used to whittle? Um, oh, was it Jonathan Winters? Jonathan yes. Winters. Yes, he was hilarious. He yeah. once started with a piece of wood. On the set, uh-huh. went offset when we were waiting for a square piece of wood, and by the time we're in there, he had a perfect wooden egg. <laughs> he had had yeah. whittled an egg out of it. What what kind of drew you to directing at that time? Well, why you know did you what drew me to directing? Mm-hmm. I had written something that was a written a movie, I guess, mm-hmm. that was di- directed by somebody, and and when he cut it and put it together, it was so. I said, no, no. I said, you don't use a close-up of somebody when a joke is said to see the reaction. I said, reaction should be between the two of them with Mm -hmm. one looking. See, it was so badly. I decided I better direct to to save my material. So the second movie I wrote, I directed because I wanted to uh, Mm -hmm. be there. And and by the way, the best thing you can do about directing is is hire actors who don't need directing. And Uh that's what I did. That's what Hitchcock did. Yeah. Yeah. Hitchcock, I think, rarely gave direction to actors. Oh, he was something. Yeah. I loved him. Uh, uh, Good evening. Yes. (laughs) Another... uh, Famous movie that you directed was The Jerk, of course, with Steve Martin. Were you a fan of Steve Martin when he first came out oh of that stuff? Oh, my God. Was it? I knew Steve Martin from uh, uh, The Smothers Brothers. Smothers Brothers. He was one of the writers. My, my yeah. brother, my brother, my son Rob was on the show. Yeah. And Steve. Yeah, held Rob like that. <laughs> yeah. My brother. <laughs> yeah. But Steve, uh, to this day, I consider a renaissance man. Yes. He knows more about anything, and what a writer. Yeah. His book, Born Standing Up, his yeah, biography. It's brilliant. One yeah. of the best biographies ever written, and one of the saddest. Yeah. Because here's this guy with all the talent, and his family never noticed him. Yeah, his father never His father never. Yeah. He was, he was, his first time on the SNL. He, he performed, yeah. and his father was writing for the Wall Street, not Wall Street, a real estate journal, mm-hmm. and he, Steve Martin was on the show. He could have been a lot funnier. Yeah. Imagine your parents saying I that. Know. My mother used to say, every time she saw me, you were the best one. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And she only complained that they don't give you enough to do. That's hilarious. Yeah. What do you think is the most important ingredient to being funny? Is uh, don't try to be funny. Yeah. Either you are, either you, you got you're, it or you ain't. Do you think you're born with it? Two things: environmental mm-hmm. and, uh, as you yeah. say, born with it. Right. Yeah. And there's no question about it. But I think the environment is too. Environment My helps. parents yeah. loved comedies: the Ritz Brothers, the Marx Brothers. Yeah. Uh, we always went to see comedies, and mm-hmm. the radio never missed the Jack Benny show, yeah. the Fred Allen show. Um, and and so there there it is. But you also having a funny bone helps too. Yes, there exactly. are people who listen to comedy and would rather be doing something else. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I don't know if you remember this conversation, but I think at that lunch, <laughs> it was very funny. Where you thought that. Well, I shouldn't say you thought that, but you were saying that you didn't think conservatives were funny, but that liberals were funny. That what? <laughs> you said you didn't. <laughs> you, there, you said I just I don't see many funny conservatives out there. Well, There's, what they do uh, is they'll give us fodder. They uh-huh. do. Mr. Trump is fodder for uh, yeah. for comedians. My God, the comedians are making a living off them. The, yeah. the nighttime can be from Colbert to Fallon to Kimmel to all, all those guys, yeah. Seth Meyers. They, they, uh, and of Trevor Noah, my God, he goes, he goes, I just watched them just now. Yeah. Do you find it, is it, can you laugh at, I know you're a political person too, and you tweet. No a, question about it. A lot of times. And um, do, do you find what's going on in the world, do you find that it's better for you to find what's funny about it? Or do you have a different approach? Like, no, like, like I what keeps I don't, you sane? No, I don't like, I don't, there's nothing funny about it. Uh-huh. But humor 
keeps you living. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, if you can't smile, if you can't find a reason to make yourself happy, yeah. you give up. People, right. you know, it's one of those things innate in people. They would mm-hmm. rather they'd rather turn away from something and go to something that makes them smile. Yeah. But uh, you can't uh, you cannot stay in the world. Yeah. This guy makes you stay in the world. <laughs> Do you think humor is the thing that, that keeps you going? It keeps everybody going. Mm-hmm. I think it keeps everybody going. It def- it uh, takes the air out of, the bad air out of a room. Yeah. They say a, a lot of com- comedians complain these days about political correctness, that it's hard to, to get laughs and certain things. Do you think people ever, like, here's an interesting question for a girl. Do you think people that are funny, do you think they stop being funny at some point? Or do you think the audience just gets tired of laughing at that particular no, thing? I never thought about it. No. I know. It's no. hard to say. You know, No, there people, are some people who cannot not be funny. And when they get out there, you just start smiling when they right. walk out. And now we have such glib people who are, they're new comedians that they talk too fast for me. I don't. Can't keep up. I'm, I'm yeah. It, the world has changed an awful lot. The music I don't understand at all. Yes, <laughs> but I do understand the scat singers. I love the I mm-hmm. love them. You know. Yes. They, what are, they don't call scat. What do they call it? The oh, you mean rap? Is rap. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. very talented. I call it scat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what other people call it. Yeah. Um, I remember once you said. Uh, I think you used the term. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think you used the term. You're a Jewish atheist. Is that the term? Yeah, well, I was, yes, exactly. I'm a confirmed yeah. atheist. You're a confirmed born Jew, atheist. Born Jewish. And I, I love the fact Jews, like every other, every, every ethnicity takes great pride mm-hmm. when finding that somebody is of their, right. know, yes, exactly. whatever it is. So the, athe- so the Jewish atheists were very happy to find another Jewish atheist yeah. when, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> when you were confirmed. No, the thing is, I... I I wasn't an atheist as a kid, but mm-hmm. I think after Hitler, mm. my thought was, you know something? How mm-hmm. many people died yeah. in the, six million Jews? Six hundred sure. million. Many, many millions. I said, I said they must have all been praying and saying, "Oh dear God, mm-hmm. stop this madman!" And I said, "What was he doing? Making flowers or?" Mm-hmm. What was he doing? You know, I mean, looking at. Yeah. I said maybe there's nobody there, mm-hmm. and of course, then I realized there is a God. It's the guy in your head. That's uh-huh. you are God. By the way, the end of this book. I, Carl Reiner, the book is too busy to die. Yeah, I'm going to do something that I. <laughs> mm-hmm. from Carl's my own opening work. the book, you guys, and he's yeah. going. He's going from oh, the back yeah. first. There are 13 things about the Almighty that are never mentioned anywhere. I personally know that. He has a chronic back condition. His knee joints ache. He's allergic to shellfish and mustard. He, his prostate is moderately enlarged. Oh my God. He often sings off key. He has. He hates wars, but can't think of a way to stop them. Yeah. He loves to check out a woman's legs as she passes by. He is upset by the unfair distribution of wealth. He loves to laugh. He gets goosebumps when a great tenor hits a high C. He hates that comedies rarely if ever win Oscars. <laughs> he loves sushi, especially unagi. He hates talking to anyone wearing a tongue ring. He would like to replace the Ten Commandments with one commandment that covers everything. Thou shalt not hurt anybody. Yes. How do I know these things about God? I am man, and I was told that I was created in his image. Wow. And there I put my old picture. So everybody who wants to know what yeah. God looks like, put all of your peccadillos there and yes. put your picture there. That's what God looks like. Well, cause they He's say in us. We man are was God. made in God's image. We invented him, so we yes. are him. Yes. We needed him. When we said, mm-hmm. that's why we invented him, because we used to pray to conch shells and and uh, rocks yeah. it didn't work. So then we said, must be something up there. Yeah. My friend of mine, Tony Stewart, who was a writer on the show shows, mm-hmm. wrote a play once called God Almighty, which the end, I just adored it. Mm-hmm. There was one scene where man dies and goes to heaven, and he meets God, and God looks at him, and he says, who are you? He says, I'm man. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? He said, I'm man, you created me. I created you? He says, I 
don't remember creating you. <laughs> he said, I remember creating ants, those little insects. Of course, they can carry something 1,800 size. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And flowers. I love flowers. I remember the colors. And the, mm-hmm. I don't remember you. What do you do? Show me what you do. And this is brilliant. Wow. He started doing a soft shoe across the stage, uh-huh. man. And and the truth of the matter is there's nothing that defines man's grace and who he is than watching, you know, Gene Kelly or somebody sure. who is there do a soft shoe. He does a soft shoe, and God looks and it's finished, and he said, can you teach me that? Huh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it ends with God on stage mm-hmm. looking with wars and pestilence and what's all going on. Yeah. And it, as the lights dim, you see the Lord looking up and going like this. He's looking for God, right. too. Amazing. I think we always try to find more meaning in things, whether, yeah. you know, real or imagined or that type of thing. What, how do, what, do you, what gives you hope these days, Carl, when you look and see the things that are happening um, in the man, world? Man, when, uh, you know, it was Sean O'Casey who said, man has always been, uh, had the, uh, the, the choice of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And when he has to really figure out, he always chooses good. For he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good (laughs) fellow. And so Casey, uh, there's a tape of him Uh singing, he's a jolly fellow going up a staircase in his home in in Ireland all Uh the way to his house and waving. And that's uh, that's the way I feel about it. Really, that, that people ultimately, do you think people ultimately are good? I think so, too. Mm -hmm. I think they're ultimately good. We wouldn't have the world we have today if people weren't good. And every once in a while, bad people try to stop the good people from doing their good things. And other good people stop those bad people from trying to stop the good people. Yes. Um, Before we go, thank you so much for talking to me. I do want to talk about your book a little bit more. Now, it's called Too Busy to Die? Yeah, Too right? Busy to Die. So why are you too busy to die? Not that I want you to die. But. Yeah, that was funny. When I, f- <laughs> I finished three uh, biographies, I wrote one called uh, I Remember Me. Yes. Then I wrote one, what I forgot to remember, when I remember things I should have remembered. Uh-huh. And the third one was called, uh, oh, when does I remember me? What I forgot to remember things. I, I forget what the third one was called. Yes. I just remembered. I just remembered. I just no, remembered. the second one is I just remembered. I remember me. I just remembered and what I forgot to remember. And Mel was sitting right there, and I said, Mel, I finished it. What do I do now? And he said, too busy to die. He gave me a title. <laughs> and so I wrote this one, and I think this is one of my best. It's a beautiful book, by the way. Um, everybody out there. Oh yeah, there's that. Look at that lovely picture. I mean, some of the pictures of Mary Tyler Moore. You just flipped it. Yeah, she yeah, had yeah. just passed away when yeah. I finished it. Who who had just passed away? Mary. Oh, Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. The very end is. Do you have any? What are what is your uh, nicest memory of Mary Tyler Moore? You know, the nicest memory of her was the first time I saw. Her. Uh-huh. I saw twenty three women to play the when I. Dick Van Dyke was the only person that he was considered the cast, for the part. Right? Yeah. And then I I remember say, saying to Sheldon, I, gee, I, I don't know. I, I've seen so many women. I uh, I don't know who, who the right one is. Mm-hmm. When the right one comes by, you'll know, he said. Yeah. Anyway, 23 women, literally 23 women. I remember one woman, we very Aline Brennan, a very wonderful very actress. Yeah, she's we, great. We flew her from New York. It's the only one we paid to come in. Mm-hmm. And she was wonderful, but a little too strong for yeah. for Dick, who was sort of lame. So I, Sheldon Leonard and Danny Thomas, mm-hmm. and I said to Danny, I said, uh, uh, we we paid this. I showed him the clip, and he said, no, you're right. Mm-hmm. And he says, who was that girl she played on Richard Diamond. You only saw her legs. Hmm. She came in to read for me. She had three three names, and uh, and she was perfect. But she said nobody, nobody would believe that her nose, which went this way, and mine went goes this, that would be related. Yeah. So, and I looked it up. It was Mary Tyler Moore? Uh-huh. I found her, and I called her, and she reluctantly came in. Really? And she said that she had done a couple of inter- interviews that week, and it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. When she walked through the door. I, I saw that dark, beautiful hair, the yeah. best smile, big eyes that shone, and those lovely legs. And I remember 
I remember I gave her a page to read. Mm -hmm. I said, read. And she read one line, and I made my hand into a claw like they do at the, at the arcades. At the carnival, yeah, yeah. I went across the room, and I grabbed the top of her head, pulled her, and I walked her down the hall, and I mm -hmm. said, Sheldon, I found her, this and I it. released her. That's funny. I said, I found the girl you talked to. She's like, what are you yeah. doing? <laughs> well, anyway, that's... she never disappointed. No, not she at all. She was the most talented woman I've ever worked with. Yeah. And what an amazing show. Amazing. She can do anything. She can sing. She can dance. Yeah. And when, when she and Dick danced, I melted. Yeah. I melted every week. Yeah. It was really like a, America's couple in they many were. ways. Yeah. They kind of, and it's funny that it kind of mirrored like the White House at the time almost with yeah. Jack and Jackie, yeah, right, you know, right. that type of, especially when you look back, it, it was almost like a mirror to what that yeah. Camelot period was. You know, you Dick, know. Dick was, uh, when I chose her, Dick said, Nobody's going to believe it. She, I think there was 11 years difference. Oh, really? Said, They're not going to believe mm -hmm. Not one person ever said they don't belong together. Yeah. I mean, they, the first time they kissed on the first show, that was it. That Just was goes it. to show, yeah. So, everybody, this book is called Too Busy to Die, and you can get it on randomcontent.com. Is that right? Yes. And Random we'll content. Very, and by the way, if you any book you buy of mine or any of the books, yes. you get a free book called How to Live Forever. <laughs> I saw this book. This you is an got, amazing. I gave you, you gave one. me one. Carl mm -hmm. gave me this book, How to Live Forever. Now, this is an amazing book. How to Live Forever is amazing because it's just like one sentence, right? Don't, don't, don't oh, give it don't away. Don't tell them away. Yeah, don't the, tell the first sentences are right. very important. The first sentence is very important. Very important. Yes, yes. Right. Well, you can read the first sentence. Yes. First sentence <laughs> says, uh, start a project. Right. Uh, uh, work on it. Improve it, and when you improve or you approve of your improvements, start a new project. Right. That's the first sentence. That's the most important sentence. And then sentence. it goes on to tell you exactly it what goes you on need from to there. know. Yes, it goes on from there. It's brilliant. The wisdom in that book is amazing. And it's, by the way, I wrote it, I didn't write it alone. It's called How to Live for Him. I wrote it with this Pakistani man, How to Live Forever by Someone Who Has. Yes. Someone Who I Has. I saw that, yes. And, uh, and a, Carl Reiner. It's a very traditional name. Yeah. Yes. Is Mel Brooks the funniest person you have ever met in your life? I think Mel Brooks is by far the funniest person yeah. I've ever met in my uh -huh. whole life. Yeah. And just when you think he's he's done it all, he's got a um, musical playing in London now. He just got back. Mm -hmm. uh, young Frankenstein, the sure. musical. Mm -hmm. And I saw it when it first came out in Seattle. He, mm -hmm. My wife and I, and I couldn't, I was amazed at the amount of, Great lyrics. I mean, well, he's improved it since then. Mm -hmm. And since then, he has become both Gilbert and Sullivan. Wow. He has written most interstitial lyrics I've ever heard. Isn't it amazing? Since Gilbert and Sullivan. Are you amazed at Mel that he's yeah, still doing this? Yeah, and he's written the, the music too. He's very musical. He's he a drummer, but he can't write music. So he, he picks it out and sure. somebody puts it down. It, it's extraordinary, extraordinary. He never yeah. ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Do you guys still get together? Yeah, he sits right there. Oh, Mel Brooks sits <laughs> where I'm sitting, you guys. What? Yeah, he, he's back now. He'll be yeah. here tonight, I think. All right. Larry Wilmore, I must yeah. tell you, it's such a pleasure to see you. Oh, it's... It's been a long time since we... With Bernie Mac, that was a, such a dear, dear person, and there yeah. you were. Uh, it's a long history. Well, then one last thing, Carl. Do you have any other thoughts about uh, about this current administration or anything you want to say that you can't fit in a tweet? Because a tweet, they do give you 280 characters now. I don't know if you know that. Well, you they know, I, I think uh, what I've been tweeting lately is basically what's happening is that he's imploding. Mm -hmm. All of those people are coming forward or being in, investigated yeah. in closed sessions, and that some of them risk jail time a few of them are wearing uh, ankle bracelets now yeah. uh, the, the manafort and those manafort, yeah. I'm a, and when you read about the amount of deals he made through the years and the russian connection which is now shown to be absolute i mean they've got all the proof they need that they colluded to, yeah. to get hillary you know, uh, thrown at, and him saying lock her up and all that. He, the most hideous. <laughs> no, don't even get me started. You know, I, yeah. I saw a Hillary being interviewed on some show lately. Mm -hmm. The difference, and somebody who knows, I mean, she was the Secretary of State. Yeah. She really knows how government works. There's one thing about Hillary that really endears me to her. Mm -hmm. When she was 16 years old, this is a kid. Yeah. 
she got become became interested in indigent children who had no sure. parents, and she started a little thing where she helped young little kids who needed parenting or yeah. needed food, and, and she had a, an organization going when she was a kid. And one of her professors in college said, this is the single brightest woman he's ever graduated from that, and she's going to go on to be something great. Yeah. And she was. I mean, when you hear her speak now, she, and then one of the things, one of the ugliest things I've ever seen uh -huh. was the debate number three, where she's talking to the audience. Oh, yeah. And, I know you're and there's about. A, a behemoth behind her. Yeah. <laughs> Every place she walked, he walked two that feet behind bizarre. her. That was just kind of creepy, right? That was the creep. We have the creepiest right. president we've ever had. His his ratings now are the lowest in the history of the country. Yeah. So that's the thing I uh, – what, what was the question? <laughs> no, you answered it. Believe me. <laughs> uh, you answered it. But um, yeah. anyhow – I'm so happy that you're too busy to die. <laughs> and I love this book. Guys, this book is fantastic, Bob. There's some, the pictures alone, and then you change the font partway through. It gets to be bigger <laughs> font, things yeah. like that. But there's so much good in here. But thank you so much, Carl, for being on, on Black in the Air. And thank you for coming here so I didn't have to go anyplace. Yes. 